before we get to our show, here is a podcast we think you're going to love. Are you a true crime junkie? Do you talk about true crime with your friends all of the time? And are there cases that have stuck with you for so many years because of geographic or emotional closeness? If so, then welcome to Fatalities. I'm Elisa Lucas, and this is the podcast where I explore true crime cases over tea with the help of my friends. Because without tea, friends, and good conversation, there's nothing but darkness and chaos. So grab a warm cup of tea and join me as my friends and I discuss the cases that have struck a chord with us and the related issues that might help us understand why such horrible crimes have occurred. The podcast is dropped every other Wednesday and is available on such podcatchers as Apple, Podbean, Spotify, and so much more. You may follow Fatalities on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, but don't forget that T's is spelled T-E-A-S, because here is where we spill the tea. Is it working now? Hello. Yes, I think it is. Mysteries. They are unsolved <laughs> from time to time. What if that was the title of our podcast? <laughs> Mysteries. They are unsolved from time to time. <laughs> Why not? Welcome to Hello. Mysteries. They are unsolved from time to time. Featuring Liz and Samantha. We are an Unsolved Mysteries rewatch podcast. We've been following along with Amazon Prime, brought to you by your evil overlords, Amazon. But now the first season of unsolved mysteries is on youtube i know this is great news so you could be watching it for free as fuck mm-hmm. uh i don't know if the editing lines up with what we've been doing on our show but hopefully no clue because didn't hulu not line up with yes. the amazon ones so hulu at least for a while i don't think they still do had unsolved mysteries and it was not edited the same the segments weren't comp- compiled in the same order so we're finally going along the amazon way I hope that lines up with the YouTube way because I would love for people to be able to watch it for free, but I have not checked to confirm that that's true. Right. So let us know if you have looked into that. Of course, did you say only the first season is on yes. YouTube? We're beyond that anyway. But, but if you know, if you're re-listening, I don't know, or you're, if you're just you just stumbled upon this fine podcast today and you went, "Where has this been all my life? I can't wait to watch along to the first season." Well, you can try YouTube. I don't know. Sure. I don't know if that'll work out for you. Hopefully the rest of the seasons will come. Because, yeah, that's great news for the accessibility of this fine program. Yeah. I know everybody loves this program. And they have all already given it five out of five. Robert Stacks on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, just to stroke our egos a little bit. We appreciate everyone who's rated and reviewed us on all the platforms, but especially iTunes, because that kind of gives you a little boost in the algorithm. Yeah. Because we want more people to find this fine luxurious podcast yes the highest quality the highest quality you're a caviar really the, ca- the ca- we are the caviar of podcasts step aside <laughs> this american life yeah perhaps since you you, you thought maybe you needed npr funding to make a, a top quality podcast no you just need what was once a dining room and an old laptop and some mics one and a half youtube videos to tell you how to do it all yeah and a, a not a drive to succeed. We don't have that. But just a, no. a, a spur of a moment whim to make a podcast. That and then for you're some too reason, committed to ever quit. Kept 
going. Yep. We That's, don't really know why. Well, this is the recipe for success. Are you taking notes? Yeah. Let us tell you how. This is our TED Talk. We were once right. at a bar with some friends, and we said, man, I wish we had made that Law & Order podcast. And I believe it was our friend Alexa said, why don't you do Unsolved Mysteries? Because the implication being that thing you never shut up about. But she is too far too nice to ever say that. Far too nice. So we were like, you know what, Alexa? Maybe we will. Maybe we will make an Unsolved Mysteries podcast just to show you. Finally put you in your place. <laughs> this is hilarious. Anyone who knows Alexa. Alexa is the knows. nicest, sweetest person in the entire world. So we were like, Pretty yeah, Alexa, maybe us. shut your mouth. Maybe we'll show you a thing or two. And then just a spider... We went out to the Brooklyn Park Library, used a recording studio to make our first podcast where we had no idea what we were doing, even less so than we do today. Yes. Amaze, imagine that. Sometimes I forget that we made our first episode in the Brooklyn Park Library. <laughs> I think it gives us cred. <laughs> yes. I think it's sure like... Does. I mean, yeah, maybe lots of people recorded the first podcast on their phone, and that's fine. But we were like, mm, the audio quality... We, we people are gonna need to listen to this you can't just skip one you can't skip the first episode no so we gotta try to make it make sound it top notch yeah like caviar for the ears so yeah we went to the library and uh and made that first one oh and now we're on our third season no and i mean don't underestimate the motivating power of spite i mean that was a joke we would never spite alexa but no i can't imagine anyone ever being mad at alexa but, but it is true that Spite is a is a quality oh, it's motivator. A fine, we, it's basically the only thing that has motivated me in my entire life. Says the women who put our first negative feedback on tope eggs and sold them. <laughs> that is inspired by hero John Waters, who used to always take his bad reviews and use them at, in in his ads. Like usually, quotes <coughs> would say, you know, like, "Oh, a masterpiece, not to be missed." But he would find a quote that was like utter trash, avoid at all costs, <laughs> and he would put that in his his ad for his movie, and then people would be like, "Whoa, I gotta see what this is about," <laughs> right? Like it is brilliant, it, yeah. So my first reaction to being told that the cackling has to stop is like, "How can we use that for our own good?" Exactly. What would John Waters do in this situation? Put it in. Rainbow, rainbow foil on a tote bag and sell it and make money off of yes. it to put back into the show full of cackling and that's what we did because we're marketing geniuses all right now that we've bestowed all this wisdom onto you for free yeah god we are oh oh can we talk about how sword and scale is no longer on what i think call we it? can all do a, we're doing a little happy dance here in the podcast studio this podcast Bye. only speaks ill of one other podcast yep and that's sword and scale which may or may not even exist anymore and thank god it is only because that host like whatever his name is boudet known douchebag uh he, he finally pushed his is that his like hosting, hosting platform? platform? They're no longer going to host his show. Yeah, it's some sort of partnership relationship. They, it's not like they were his boss, right? So they just ended their relationship with him. They don't no longer have them on their network. No, they, they no longer have his network. show okay. and him on that network. Do you think that'll take us instead? I mean, call us, Wondery. Yeah, we would love to step up and fill the void. Like we know you got you got a hole in your market. Yeah, we're we, not gonna play gruesome nine one one calls and degrade victims of murders. No, but, I mean we're gonna ask very few of our listeners for topless photos. Yeah, very few. <laughs> Gordon Ramsay is the only one he's not a listener, so he doesn't count. Only Gordon Ramsay. 
<laughs> Gordon Ramsay, that's perhaps it's you podcast at gmail.com. Send those thirst traps along. Everyone else, though, we will we'll never. We will not be harassing over the interwebs. Or, yeah, degrading victims or when. when Doxing vic- children of. When victims' families. families get in touch with us and say, please don't do this, we won't go, haha, don't care. That's a, that's a weird reaction. These are all things we'll never do. Wonder you no, call us. Call us. We are so much better. Yeah. So much better. But yeah, he just like had a public temper tantrum meltdown and is now only going to be doing the show for paid Patreon people, Which I think. Which is baffling to me. Surely that podcast was such a cash cow, you could just take it to some other platform and be independent. Well, he I don't, wants I don't, to I don't have a hissy fit because he thinks Which he's is, Alex Jones. It's fine. Good riddance. But it yeah. baffled me. It's very, very interesting. Maybe he'll chain himself to the Wondery office building. <laughs> like that guy with Twitter. That was amazing. Oh, yeah. It's been weird. Was that this year? Yeah, that was Laura Loomer. Who knows? Like, I can't tell what things happened like five years ago and what happened like a month ago. I, well, was it this year? Anyway, it was so it much was this happened year or last year. I don't remember. Yeah. Yeah. Re- recent history. Yeah, it's. Uh, Nazi. Milo, whatever his name is, that guy. Oh yeah, he, he's been after being deplatformed, is being forced to like auction off his possessions on Instagram because he's like millions of dollars in debt. So that's kind of fun too. Can you hear the tiny little? <laughs> he was trying to what well, the one I saw because someone posted it on Twitter. Like yeah, t- tiniest little violin was like a giant framed portrait of him. <laughs> Like you would want I'm that sure in your house, selling like hotcakes. And he was like, "Oh, this won't survive the move." Okay, you should buy it. It's like, is that yeah, the one where he it, had it like a sur- gun or something? Yeah. Oh, okay. It's like, oh yeah, yeah it won't it. survive the move, but it will survive being shipped to someone's house. <laughs> Got it. Okay. You fucking Whatever. Nazi. <laughs> yeah. Good riddance. Good riddance. So that's a little. Yeah, these are the kinds of things you know. The world is ending. A lot of things are really bad, but sometimes spiteful. This goes back to some spiteful. The universe joy smiles on us. Where you can go. Oh, at least my enemies are being crushed. Sure. Yeah. Right. Alex Jones is being sued. Yeah. Like that's great. Mike Boudet is. Mike Boudet is. <laughs> Mike Boudet is crying into his bidet. I guess. I guess. Not really sure. He's having. He like thinks he's Alex Jones. He handles things like Alex Jones does. Oh, it's so bizarre. I really. Oof. Oof. Anyway, I don't actually have any unsolved mysteries updates. I don't think I have any unsolved mysteries updates either. What was our last episode? What, what even happened? Um. Well, our last episode wasn't great, and this one is also not great. Actually, <laughs> are you glad you tuned in? I sent Liz a message when I started watching this show and said, "You're getting the mystery shaft this week because Liz Which, has the worst the mystery mysteries. shaft." I think is clearly going to be the name of this episode. <laughs> and just reminds me of remember early on when we talked about Shaft Alley on that haunted boat? <laughs> That's right. Where they kept being Shaft like... Shaft Alley. They saw something in Shaft Alley. <laughs> this is not Shaft Alley, but it is the, the mystery, mystery Shaft. shaft which, okay, well... Yeah, unfortunately, it's coming Liz's way today because her mysteries suck. I do at least have a UFO. I don't know. I think my first one is kind of interesting. It and is then, interesting. And then it just goes nowhere, though. I will be interested to hear your thoughts on this first mystery. All right. Coming to us from the fine country of Canada. Um, so if you're following along at home, we're on season three, episode 18, all of a sudden. That's crazy. Just slipping away. I know. I can't Sands believe it. through the hourglass. 
We open with Robert Stack. He's in a church, I believe. He's by a very nice stained glass window. He is. It's quality. Maybe Tiffany. I'm not sure. It's it's quite nice. We don't always also get the perhaps it's you line every time yeah. from Robert Stack, but we got a really good one this time, I thought. That, I think he did it just for us. Just for us. He winked at us. He knew that this would... He knew he suspected podcasts would be invented, and he knew we would make the best one. He sure did. Of all podcasts. So this first segment is an unexplained death from Richmond, Canada. It is the Cindy James case. This is strange, yes. I'll say. Um, it opens with it being June 8th, 1989, this is a suburb outside of Van- Vancouver, British Columbia. A body is found lying in the yard of a ba- an abandoned house, and it is the body of 44-year-old nurse Cindy James. She had been drugged, strangled, and her hands and feet were tied behind her back. And she is discovered by the Royal Canadian Mounted Police, and they believe that her, de- her death is either accident, which, what? How? I don't see how that could be a plausible option. Or suicide, option. which also you go, Really? Yeah. Do many people commit suicide uh, in just in a like abandoned lot and also have their hands and feet tied? Seems unlikely, but okay. we'll see what the evidence says. Whew. Yes. Okay. Listen. Listen up, folks. <laughs> so Cindy graduated from nursing school in 1966. The photo of her from nursing school is like it's gorgeous. It is. I love the like almost beehive hair and whatever she's just like a 60s blonde looker she later became an administrator for a preschool for children with behavioral and emotional problems she married but did not have any children of her own shocking as did i moving on uh in july of 1982 her and her husband separated only four months later she began receiving mysterious and sometimes threatening phone calls. Now, if you weren't really, like, alive for the landline era, you did just used to get weird calls. Yes. We definitely got people that would just call and breathe. Yep. And then you would hang up on them. And I don't know. That was just, like, a fact of life. <laughs> Seems weird now that someone could call you on a regular basis and just go... <sighs> <laughs> and you would just go, ew, and hang up the phone and move on with your day and think nothing of it. Anyway, that used to be the world. But her th- phone calls sometimes involved threats. And after they got worse, she involved the police. She was starting to hear prowlers. Her porch lights were smashed. Her phone lines were sometimes sever- severed. And according to a friend of hers, Agnes Woodcock, she started to get bizarre notes that appeared on her doorstep. We see these on the show, and they're, like, cut out from magazines, and they have threats, and they also have, like, photos of women being strangled or screaming. And yeah, they're, they're disturbing. Super disturbing. Her friend said that, according to Cindy, Cindy said, this guy isn't trying to kill me. He's trying to scare me to death. Yikes. Yeah. And so she's, but she was clearly reluctant and frightened to give a lot of details about what was going on. And over time, the police began to suspect her stories. Now, one night on January 1983, Agnes stopped by Cindy's house for a visit and knocked on the door. There was no answer, so she assumed she was taking a bath, which apparently she did every night because Cindy Cindy. Cindy understood self-care. So as she's leaving, she comes across, Cindy is actually lying like out in the yard. She's, if the reenactment is accurate, badly beaten. And also has nylons tied around her neck very tightly. So, 
Cindy said that she had gone out to the garage to get a box and someone had grabbed her from behind. And all she had managed to see was that the assailant was wearing white sneakers. So her friend, you know, like... I assume takes her to the hospital, whatever, gets her medical attention. Cindy was so alarmed by this incident that she moved to a new house, painted her car a new color, and even changed her last name. That's drastic. She also hired a private investigator, Ozzy Caban, who was sometimes outside of her house just to, like, see if anything happened. The police continued their investigation and questioned Cindy several times. Ozzy later reported that she would never tell them the entire story. She seemed evasive, as if she was holding information, and according to one of the cops, acted as if a normal victim would not act, which made me roll my eyes really hard. Same. Also, how wouldn't... She's, she moved, she changed her name, she painted her car, she hired a private ex- investigator. How would a normal victim act? Yeah. Like, that like, makes no sense. She's clearly acting as if there's a serious threat to her life. So I, it's kind of like, dude, what more do you want? Yeah, and you're questioning her. They make her take a lie detector test. So, yes, I guess probably she was, you know, maybe defensive because you clearly don't think she's telling the truth. Right. So not sure how you expect her to act, but... Uh, the polygraph was inconclusive, but also polygraphs are meaningless. They're stress tests. Also, you're making a victim take a polygraph test? Yeah. Fuck it's you. pretty gross. Um, we see her parents, who are the most like serious Canadian people ever, and they're adorable, and I love them. And they're both sitting at a table dressed in like their Sunday best, where she has like a little wool sweater vest on and a brooch, and he's in like a full goddamn suit. Yep. It's so adorable. It's really cute, and also they fully believe their daughter. Yes. And they said that one reason she might have been reluctant was that the attacker had threatened her family and said that if she said anything, he would go after her sister next and then her mom. Makes perfect sense why she wouldn't want to. Yeah. And that if she named who it was, they would be killed. On the night of October 30th, 1984, her um, private investigator, Ozzy, heard strange sounds coming over a two-way radio he had given Cindy and went to the house. He went in and found it locked. Looking through a window, he found her lying on the floor with a paring knife through her hand to pin a note. (sighs) I don't really understand how you would do that to yourself. Is that possible? I mean... To stab yourself through the hand? Oh. Like, it was like... I don't know if the reenactment is totally accurate, but it looks like it was, like, through her hand into the floor with the note. This is awful. Yeah. I, I don't know. So she was taken to the hospital and later recalled being attacked and a needle going into her arm. Okay, she saw this person sometimes accompanied by one or two others. Sometimes she said there were two or three people, but police could never find a suspect. The threatening phone calls continued, but they were too short to trace. And while the police were there for sur- surveillance, nothing ever happened. But Her mom has a very astute observation, which is if you have a police car in front of your house... Probably the stalker is not going to come around. Right. Maybe they would wait until there's not a police yeah, car. They're like, in front it's of your so house. weird that when we're sitting here surveilling the house, nothing ever happens. Okay. As police became skeptical of the harassment, Sandy's parents believed her attacker was staying away to make them suspicious of her. On December 11th, 1985, she was found dazed and semi-conscious lying in a ditch six miles from her house. She was wearing a man's boot and glove and suffering from hypothermia. She had cuts and bruises over her entire body, and a black nylon stocking had been tightly wound around her neck. She had no memory of what happened. 
I just don't understand how you do that to yourself. It's terrifying, right? Yeah. Okay, so her friend Agnes Woodcock and her husband Tom stayed with Cindy, and one night they heard noises and woke up to go investigate. So we have a reenactment of this. It's like, they're getting up, it's the middle of the night, Cindy's like, I heard a thud downstairs, um, this guy agrees as well. So they all go downstairs to investigate, and they find the fucking basement is on fire, and the phone lines have been cut. So they go, they alert the neighbors. This guy who was seeing there saw a man at the, the curb and asked him to call the fire department, and that guy just ran off. However, the police think that Cindy staged the incident because there was no dust or fingerprints disturbed on the outside on the windowsill. And the fire started inside the house? Yeah. Started in the basement. But was she really going to burn down her own fucking house while she and her friends are asleep in it? Wasn't it? I thought it was her friend's house. I thought she was staying at their place. Oh. And did I misread that? Because I thought she was frightened, so she stayed at their base in their basement sometimes. I think she had sometimes. them stay with her. Oh, okay. It was one of those things. Either way, it, whether it's her house or her friend's house, why would she burn it down? I don't know. We also hear from this journalist that he thinks it's really weird she continued to walk her dog at night after being attacked. She worked during the day. I was like, fuck you, guy. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. Yeah. So Cindy's doctor committed her to a local psychiatric ward, believing she was becoming suicidal. Now, what's important about that is that her psychiatrist or therapist, whoever we hear from, very specifically says, I believe her. That's not the problem. The problem is that no one, the other people don't believe her. And the and stress of everything. Yeah, is making her suicidal. The idea that this stuff is happening to her and nothing is being done about it. And no one believes her. It's an absolute nightmare. She's in the psychiatric ward for 10 weeks. Um, after that, she tells her father that she finally, well, she her father tells us that she finally admitted to her friends and family that she knew more than she was saying and was planning to go after the perpetrator herself, which, Yikes. oh, Sandy. Yikes. By, okay, so now we're at May 25th, 1989, six years and seven months after the first threatening phone call. On this day, Cindy disappears. Her car is found in a neighborhood parking lot. Inside, there are groceries and a wrapped gift. There is blood on the driver's side door, and items from her wallet are under the car. Nearly two weeks later, her body is found at an abandoned house. It looks like she has been brutally murdered. Her hands and feet are tied together. All that other stuff we just talked about. Blah, blah, blah. Yet an autopsy revealed she died from an overdose of morphine and other drugs. But police concluded she committed suicide. Of course they did. Her private investigator doesn't believe that she would be able to stage the scene, but others believe it was possible. In Vancouver, the coroner ruled her death not suicide, not accident, or murder. They determined she died of a, quote, unknown event. Unknown event. Yeah, I guess they just didn't want to make a ruling anyway. Okay. Her parents never doubted that she was murdered. So the private investigator believed the police did not inv- investigate the possibility of homicide or someone murdering her instead of zeroing in on trying to prove she committed suicide. Um, yeah, what I find weird... So that's it. What I find weird about this is that we never hear about her ex. Like, she separates from her husband and four months later this starts. Right. We never hear if what kind of relationship they had. It seems suspicious. We don't get any information, so we don't know. All I was able to find out was that he was a doctor. Okay. Which might explain that she seems to have been drugged several times. Okay, sure. Maybe. Also, in just reading through stuff on the internet, it seems like she was dating a cop. Hmm. Would that explain why 
They were reluctant to look into this. And why it leads never really led anywhere. Interesting. Sort of wonder if Cindy has sometimes exaggerated what was happening because she didn't feel like they were taking it seriously. And then that caused them to take it even less seriously. I could see how that could happen. But I also think she ended up dead. Right. I don't... You have this journalist guy that I hate trying to say like he was the smuggest bastard i wanted to go through the tv and punch (laughs) his gross face yeah no what a dirtbag saying that it would have taken 15 minutes for the the drugs to get take effect and our not tying expert which is the most hilarious title i've ever heard he was able to tie those knots in three minutes oh okay was cindy a not tying yes like why are you timing a not tying expert that cindy is a nurse she wasn't a fucking boy scout what her mom i thought very dignified statement that her daughter had pride and if she she doesn't say there's no way my daughter would have killed herself she was committed for being suicidal but she says my daughter would have committed suicide at home in her own bed not in an abandoned house in yes. the dirt also they don't talk about this on the show but in a in the little bit more of me like googling and just looking around the private investigator doesn't think it's possible that that body was there for two weeks and no one noticed it so she they find her car and then two weeks later they find her body the private investigator thinks that body is dumped later because it's kind of a like high traffic area that makes sense he thinks it'd be it's highly unlikely that the body was just sitting there for two weeks and no one noticed in all that time that does make sense the other thing is that everyone in this woman's life believed her her parents the private investigator her physician it was only the police and this asshole reporter who was like a million dollars have been spent investigating this i was like good yeah this is terrifying it's been another million nightmare also that's a fucking lie because they seem to have investigated hardly anything and they present no compelling evidence that she's making this up other than she didn't act the way they expected her to act and the only thing that i can't explain is the the fire thing that starts in the basement and there's no signs of forced entry but sometimes there's no sign of forced entry maybe they got a key to our house maybe they something else also if she's dating a cop and he's on the police department then everything the police do is suspect. Mm-hmm. Or if, I don't know, is her husband, is her ex this like established doctor guy? Is it in the police's, you know, benefit to not really look into him? Why do we hear nothing about him? That seems very strange to me. It's very strange. I think that they, this was not easy to solve. And so they just wanted to blame her. Right. And, and when she did show up dead, instead of being like, oh, we fucked up be like no 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 she killed herself right they already had an answer and they worked backwards from it and that is obviously not the right way to investigate something if they investigated her death at all or if they just didn't dismiss it right also i'm shocked to hear that she was dating someone because the way that they presented her in the episode made it sound like she lived completely alone right so why did they leave that out i don't know why did her boyfriend not want to be in were they together when she died Why maybe that's he interviewed not for the show? reliable information i don't know maybe but if he is a cop it would explain why she was withholding information from the police because she knew they wouldn't believe her they wouldn't help her sure so i don't know 
Oh, that's terrible. It's really, really an absolute nightmare. I just have a hard time believing that someone stabs themselves in the hand, hand? beats themselves to the extent that we see her beat up in the reenactment, and then, yeah, kills kills themselves with their hands and feet tied? There's a theory put forth in the show that perhaps she was suffering from multiple personality disorder, except that she's committed for 10 weeks, and we hear from her psychiatrist, and he says no. Right. (laughs) She doesn't didn't exhibit any signs of that like that sounds like a cool exciting explanation for this story but there's no proof of it and yeah everybody who was actually in her life and knew her believed her it was only the people that didn't want to do anything that didn't yeah i feel like if if a psychiatrist is talking to someone for 10 weeks if they were lying all the time they would know i would hope it's very sad and it's it's not solved you can poke around the internet but a lot of this is just this information regurgitated her sister wrote a book called who killed my sister my friend and there's a website about it but i can't actually find the book like i don't know if it ended up not getting published or something but if you want to see the letters and hear a recording left for cindy those are both on that web page which did you listen to the recording i did it's very short it's just like Cindy, you're dead meat, or something like that. Oh, interesting. Which people say that it's clearly like someone using a fake voice. I, who knows? I don't know. Yeah. it's. I think it's kind of weird her sister put that out there, but hey. I guess she wants them people to believe Cindy. I don't yeah. Know. Hmm. Yeah. I can't really put myself in that headspace, so. Yeah. If anybody rough. has this book, I am kind of curious about it, but. Oh, the th- a thing that was supposedly in the book was that she had once seen her ex dispose of a dead body. What? Yeah. Okay. They were on vacation, and he was, like, out on a boat, and she was pretty sure that he dumped a dead body into the water. Oh, interesting. Well, that would seem to suggest... Yeah, yikes. (laughs) But I can't actually find this book. Yeah, so it may or may not exist. Yeah, there's an excerpt of it on the website. I don't know. It's all very strange. This is a bizarre case, for sure. Yeah, rest in peace, Cindy. I know. Either way, I'm sorry. Yeah. What are you going to talk to us about? I'm going to talk to us about UFOs. You know what? I think this is my favorite UFO yet. I really liked this one. So this is the Cash Landrum incident. Sure is. So, and I also want to say, we get Robert Stack in, like, a safari outfit. Yeah, he's wearing, like, head-to-toe khaki. And a, All a khaki. windbreaker, like, khaki windbreaker thing. It's not good. It's weird. It is. It is what experts would call bad. Yes. Absolutely. So, and Me, a, a not-dying expert. <laughs> what? What? A, who? Is that a, th- a thing? A knot I assume expert? some like Eagle Scout, you know, they have to learn all those knots. Joey and then, down the street. And then you're like, what do I do with this knowledge now that the Boy Scouts made me learn? I don't know. Oh, I was actually picturing him like knocking on his neighbor's door. They have like a 10 year old who's in, who's a Boy Scout. And he's like, look, I heard you can tie knots. Tie a knot as fast as you can. Yeah. Let's prove this woman committed suicide. And then the kid's like, okay. Like, what? Weirdo. Like, we'll give you candy. All right. Where's the rope? Okay. At around 9 p.m. on the night of December 29th, 1980, Betty Cash was driving on State Road 1485 in Dayton, Texas with her friend Vicki Landrum and Vicki's seven-year-old grandson, Colby. They were coming home from dinner when they witnessed a bright light ahead of them. As they got closer, a strange and loud sound emitted from the object. 
Betty stopped the car because the light was too bright for her to see the road. She got out to get a better look of the mysterious object, which she describes as a diamond shape with four points. It was rounded at the top and the bottom. The reenactment of this looked kind of like it was just a close-up shot of a flashlight in the dark. (laughs) It was kind of weird, but... Yeah... So the bottom part had flames shooting out of it. Sure, of course. How else is it going to fly? An intense amount of heat was coming off of the object. Betty went back to the car and found that the door handle was extremely hot to the touch. Once back inside, they watched as the object flew away. Just seconds later, military helicopters flew overhead. Um, I was looking up some more information about this, and they claimed at one point that as many as, like, 30-something helicopters were surrounding yeah. this object, and then, like, forming a f- formation around it and sort of escorting it off into the distance. So, That's a lot of helicopters. There's a lot of helicopters. Helicopters is hella expensive. And some witnesses in the area claim to have seen as many as 12 U- um, military helicopters flying in formation, so... Okay. A lot of military helicopters possibly were in the area. I don't know. At around 1 a.m. the next morning, Colby woke up Vicky and told her that he was feeling sick. She discovered that he had a fever and had thrown up all over the bed. This reenactment's really cute. I know. I felt so bad for this kid, even though he's just acting. <laughs> I'm like, oh, poor guy. He's like, I need more water. And she's like, yes, right away. I don't know. It's so adorable. After treating him, she went back to sleep. Later that morning, she awoke to find that she was sick as well. Strangely, they both appeared to be suffering from sunburn. When Vicky went to Betty's house to check on her, she found that her temperature was dangerously high and that she had large welts all over her face and hands. Uh, the woman who plays Becky or um, Betty in this reenactment is not the world's greatest actress. No. Her like writhing on the bed and also the like special effects makeup once again not stellar. It just seems like those kits you get for Halloween to, like, create a scar. Yes, they're all exactly the same size, just round red dots. Yeah. So over the next four days, Betty's condition became more serious. She went to the hospital and was later treated for acute radiation poisoning by Dr. Mallory Pagan. Yeah, you know, a normal thing. Acute radiation poisoning. During the next six weeks, she lost at least half of her hair and some of the skin on her face. Ugh. Doctors were certain that she had been exposed to to a dangerous dose of radiation. After she was released, she continued to suffer from headaches and loss of appetite. Vicky and Colby also continued to suffer from complications, although they were not as seriously affected. So I think, like, what's being put forward is that because she got out of her car and got closer to the object, that she got a higher dose of radiation. Yeah, that makes sense. Because Vicky and Colby were sort of cowering in the car. They were super scared, so they never got out. John Schuster Schusler of the Mutual UFO Network, also known as MUFON, was brought in... Uh, how do we join? Uh, I, th- I think you can send them a letter. I don't know. You may have to pay some money. Maybe oh, there's a, they should there's let us a, in an, for free. Maybe there's an initiation ceremony. For, for just famous podcasters? <laughs> Is there like a... Just- like just a free you get a entry. default m- membership? Yeah. I don't know. Give us a call, MUFON. <laughs> Hope you're listening. <laughs> Um, he, let's see. He went with Betty and Vicky to the area where they encountered the object. They found a large circular mark was left on the road, apparently by the UFO. Which, if it's like the reenactment, like, yeah, that was really noticeable. It's pitch black. It looks like charcoal just yeah. like painted in a circle on the road. Uh, new. Ex- and then the guy's just like, ooh, and takes a photo of it. 
This is convincing evidence. The show next tells us that unknown individuals replaced the asphalt. Dun, dun, dun. I think it was probably highway workers. I don't dun, know. Dun, 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 dun. They made it Could seem super nefarious. the road like, in front of my home? Dun, dun, no dun, one, dun, dun, no dun. one knows who replaced the asphalt. It was all burned. Yeah. Yeah, he was very suspicious that it had been removed and replaced. The Department of Transportation. I don't... Whoever they contract with. We'll never know. An unsolved mystery to this day. Maybe the aliens did it. They were like, They came back and were like, We really damaged that. That was not cool. They've got their little asphalt machine out. Yeah. All right. So after interviewing people nearby, John found at least 10 who had seen the object. At least eight had also seen the helicopters. One was Sergeant L.L. Walker. He and his wife were driving near the scene when they saw the helicopters flying overhead. At the time, they figured that a plane had crashed nearby, but obviously that wasn't the case. Convinced no, because it was a UFO. Well, yeah, duh. It wasn't a plane crash. Convinced that the military was involved, Betty and Vicky sent a letter to Senators John Tower and Lloyd Benson. They wrote back stating that Bergstrom Air Force Base had been notified of the incident. They also agreed to help with anything regarding their case. Which, what? I know. They didn't just get no reply at all, which is what I would expect to happen. <laughs> On August 21st, 1981, Betty, Vicky, and Colby arrived at the Air Force Base, hoping that they would receive assistance in their for their medical expenses. In one of the rooms, they noticed a map pinpointing the area of the sighting. Betty and Vicky were interviewed for over two hours with a military stenographer taking notes. The military denied that they were involved in the incident. See, this isn't... Government officials, listen up. This is a great reason to have single-payer health care. If their bills had been covered... They never would have looked into this more. True. They never would have been contacting the military saying, hey, you exposed us to radiation. Please pay our many hospital bills. Those just would have been covered. If you want, so, if you don't want the public looking into your secret alien yes, military operations. Support single payer. That's what I'm saying. This is a good argument for that. This, this is brilliant. We should write Congress. Yes. <clears throat> Congress, listen up. We got some ideas. Four weeks later, their claim for medical damages against the military was in, was denied. In 1982, Betty and Vicky filed a lawsuit against the U.S. government. I feel like that's so bold. <laughs> I don't know. It was quite it was quite bold, and I think this may have been certainly at the time this had never been done, and I don't know that it has <laughs> since. But their um, suit was dismissed by a federal judge for lack of evidence. To date, they continue to suffer from illnesses as a result of the incident. They hope that someone will come forward to tell what happened to them and what they encountered that night. Um, This case was aired at the time on lots of different um, things. So it was first aired on Unsolved Mysteries on the February 6, 1991 episode. It was also profiled on Sightings, a show that we did for Patreon. In 2009, Kobe appeared on the UFO Hunters to discuss the sighting. Interestingly, it occurred just one day after the Rendell Sam Forest incident in England. <laughs> yeah. But I don't know what that was. Oh, I think we all know what that is. <laughs> ben- I definitely do. Ask me no Rend- follow up questions. Rendlesham Forest. Uh huh. Yeah. Oh, yes. Many yeah. a UFO and That's goblin where they make there. The Black Forest ham. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. You didn't know that? That's where I, it's no, made. I did. I learned it from a Snapple cap. <laughs> Betty passed away on December 29th, 1989, coincidentally 18 years to the day after the incident occurred. She was hospitalized at least once every year 
of um since the incident vicky passed away in 2007 colby is still hoping that there will be answers to the incident so i googled this case a little bit more and for the most part everything that was profiled in unsolved mysteries is what you'll find out there i did find some information on the mufon website because i wanted to see Mm -hmm. like what do the skeptics say about this and now granted this is like the the ufo investigator people so the skeptics of UFO believers. Yes. Mm-hmm. So I don't know who Brad Sparks is, but he contends that although um, Vicky and Betty's symptoms were somewhat similar to those caused by ionizing radiation, the re- the rapidity of onset, so as fast as it came on, is only consistent with a massive dose that would have meant certain death in a few days if they had been exposed to that much radiation. Okay. Since all of the victims lived for years after the incident, this man suggests that the cause of the symptoms was possibly some sort of chemical contamination, probably with an aerosol. Again, I don't know who Brad Sparks is. I couldn't really find but his credentials in this article. Doctors but confirm they have radiation poisoning. I don't think that so part's the, disputed. Here's the thing: the doctor they interview in the show, I think, is like a doctor, but also a UFO guy. Oh. So I'm not totally sure. The other thing is that, like, yeah, this Schuster guy. I thought it was interesting that he was um, an, a former NASA aerospace engineer. Um, so, I mean, he believed them, but... Yeah, I so feel I don't like know. this is the most believable UFO encounter we've talked about yet. They had legitimate medical symptoms, which is yeah. the crazy part. Um, Vicki Landrum telephoned a number of U.S. government agencies and officials about the encounter. When she telephoned NASA, Landrum was steered towards NASA aerospace engineer John Schulster. <laughs> like, oh, you want to talk to a nut? Who Here you go. Who was long interested in UFOs. I didn't know that it was NASA who connected them. So Schulster began, along with MUFON, researching the case and later wrote articles and a book on the subject. Um, astronomer Alan Hendry of KUFOS also briefly investigated. I don't know what mm-hmm. KUFOS is. Mm-hmm. It's C-U-F-O-S. Oh, you're a total KUFO. <laughs> I don't know what that Such is. Such a KUFO. So in ni- this is also from MUFON's website. In 1998, journalist and UFO skeptic Philip J. Class found a few reasons to doubt the story by Cash and Landrum. When Schulster inspected Betty's car in early 1981 and used a Geiger counter to check for radioactivity, he found none. Hmm. Presumably, he also checked for radioactivity when he visited the site of the alleged incident and found no abnormal radiation. He provides no medical data on Betty's health prior to the UFO incident, nor does he provide any medical data on the prior health of Vicky or Colby. So we don't know how healthy they were before this. I guess they say they were, they were in perfectly fine health. Um, other UFO researchers point out that high energy ionizing radiation of the kind that can cause damage to human beings does not induce radioactivity in objects and would not have left behind any residual radioactivity in the area so there is obviously debate about this but i think it's compelling that they have these like she said her all her hair fell out yeah that's wild i don't know and that like her skin was sloughing off so that's not something i think you would again do to yourself right like they seemed like it seems like the at least the presence of the helicopters is confirmed by other eyewitnesses. Also, so they so um, Vicky, who is the grandmother of Colby, is interviewed for the show. I think they're both interviewed for the show, and she's like, "I don't really believe in little green men, but something is making us sick." Yeah. So yeah. these didn't seem like the kind of people that would set out to like fabricate a 
hoax that involved them getting horribly ill, including a small I mean, child. Why would you? Yeah. So it seems clear that that something may have happened, and it seems like they identified some witnesses in the area that also saw something strange. It seems like they think it's a military testing, right? Which I'm, I yeah. could believe. Yeah, I'm not easily going to dismiss that. So it seems like something happened. Sure, because again, why would they do this to themselves? Right. And the Air Force saying we weren't doing anything that day. Is anyone convinced by that? No. 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 They don't want to pay their bills. Yes, exactly. Yeah, this is this was an intriguing one. Yeah, I thought it was interesting. I would love to learn a little bit more about this, but Unsolved Mysteries did a good job. And it's not uh, Butch Cassidy, so I I can't complain about that. So the Cindy Jane story. Interesting. Maybe a little disheartening. Maybe it makes you go, I don't know that I want to be a woman. This is not a great life. That's sort of what I was thinking as I was watching it. That's our takeaway. But it's, you know, it's mysterious. It's It's a bit of a different story we haven't had before. You get this good UFO segment. Solid, right? Charming people are in it. Blah, blah, blah. Then... This episode takes a real nosedive right off a cliff. <laughs> Slaps you in the face which but with Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. A story I know Liz was dying to learn about. I hate every Western one. <laughs> I I just saw this come up and was like, bleh. And I then barely paid attention and barely took notes. In because the, this time on. This is hogwash. Robert and Zach says they're going to talk about Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. I was like, please give it to Liz. Please give it to Liz. Please give it to Liz. <laughs> No. I felt a little bit bad, but not that bad. I don't recommend watching this segment. Why would you watch this segment when you can watch the fucking movie with Robert Redford and Paul Newman? And guess who is the MVM of this episode? Robert Redford in that movie. Being less handsome because he has a mustache. Kind of ruining the movie a little bit. Or you just want to shave it off the whole time. Uh, That is another movie, like Point Break, that is clearly about two men who are in love with each other and cannot admit it. So they pretend that they're in love with the same woman. Sure they are. Sure. 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 Okay. So yeah, I recommend watching that movie. That's a a classic. That's solid. This this segment, on the other hand, sucks. And I hate it. It is under something legends. What do we call this? Mysterious legends. Okay. The mystery is, why do I have to watch this? (laughs) And why did I start an Unsolved Mysteries podcast? That's the mystery. This is the story of Butch Cassidy, who was really named Robert Leroy Parker, but I guess that's not cool enough for stealing stuff. He was born in Beaver, Utah in 1866, And Unsolved Mystery Wiki informs us that's the same time Jesse James was leading his first bank heist. All right. Little baby Butch Cassidy. (laughs) Yeah. Just (laughs) toddling around thinking of Jesse James, I guess. He took the name Butch Cassidy out of respect for a friend named Mike Cassidy. Great. Good for him. And became one of the last truly notable outlaws of the Old West. He abhorred the use of guns as a homicidal weapon. He, Butch was the grandson of a Mormon preacher, and in 1901, he began his partnership with Harold, quote, Sundance Kid Longbaugh, robbing banks and trains and staying ahead of the Pinkerton detectives following him. Okay, so... I'm asleep. Yeah. The thing is that once we get to what the actual, quote, mystery is, it's so dumb, you're going to cancel Amazon Prime right there and then. You're going, I'm paying for what? No. Why? No. No. We're, we're, oh, I'm over this. So, 
if you recall, at the end of the movie, there's a shootout in Bolivia, and they they're dead, right? Mm-hmm. That's how they that's how they left this plane. Well, the mystery is, or did they? Of course, that's like the every fucking Wild West mystery is. But what if he didn't die and he went to this town and was just boring? <laughs> and I go, I don't ca- really care. <laughs> Why would he do that? What? So. God fucking damn it. Okay. Didn't we have the exact same mystery about Jesse James? And, well, Billy the Kid. Oh, it was Billy the Kid. But I think there's one of these about all of these fucking dudes, and it's just someone later claimed to be them because their life was not exciting enough. The real mystery is that how anyone cared. Yeah, that's the real mystery. Okay, so here's what we're supposed to... Yeah, or or did they? Or did they die? <laughs> Author Larry Pointer believes that Bush Cassidy came to the United States in 1908 under the name William T. Phillips, and then he moved to Spokane, Washington. Why does he think this? Because there are no records of Phillips prior to 1908. Okay. Why would he need to come... I, I know next to nothing about Bush Cassidy, but... If he had not died in the shootout, could he have just continued doing what he was doing before? Why did he have to sneak to America and never tell anyone his true identity? He was trying to find the next Robert Redford. Oh, okay. I I don't know. (laughs) Why would he? Why would he move to? Why would he? Yeah, he also has apparently like gone straight and opened a machine shop or whatever the hell he was running in Seattle. Like he was just being a boring normal dude in Seattle. After a life marketable of crime skills. Just because you don't know who this guy was prior to 1908 does not mean he's Butch Cassidy. <laughs> That's not how that works. That everyone you like can't find a birth certificate for, you go, oh, must, must be Butch Cassidy. Must be he didn't die. Must be he came back to the U.S. Like, whoa. So many leaps. It's like all leaps. No. Absolutely not. And then they show a picture. Okay. At some point, they're like, as you can see, they look very similar. Um, old grainy black and white first of all no they fucking do not uh not to brag but i've been looking at stuff my entire life and those things do not look alike i'm an expert i'm a self-proclaimed expert on this when they show a picture of this dude and a picture known picture of bush cassie and you just go nope those are not the same dude. <laughs> Absolutely not. Well, Robert Stack is like, well, it was an uncanny resemblance to who, bitch? <laughs> what? They're not the same. And later they're like, yeah, well, actually, like one of them has like a big head and a small face. And one of them, he's like, yes, they do not look alike. They have to draw these like lines on each photo to show they us. These that, like- grids so you can go their chins are not the same shape at all. When I go, like, I know. We can tell. Because I'm an expert at looking at things. (laughs) (laughs) As someone who's watched TV their entire life, I'm able to look at two photos and go, those are not the same. Uh, God, what else? Okay. So it sounds like he's Butch Cassidy. Yeah, and so apparently, supposedly Butch Cassidy's old friends said that this was him except it was just people being like you used to know butch cassidy right and then people would apparently go oh yeah sure i did oh so this guy's butch cassidy all right bye bye gotta go and that one witness was ion manning and that she met phillips in 1934 
her grandmother, Mary Boyd Rhodes, has supposedly been Butch Cassidy's childhood sweetheart. And that they met at this campsite and instantly recognized each other. And that before he died, he sent her a ring with their names on it. Except it's clearly not the same dude. (laughs) It's just a guy bragging. Okay. Uh, Since Phillips' death, Pointer has continued to find evidence that Phillips and Cassidy were one and the same. He's found a manuscript written by Phillips, which details the totally made-up adventures of Bush Cassidy. And he believes that some of those stories would have only been known to Cassidy himself. No, you don't know that they're true. Uh, And that his gun had, like, a sign of it. It's all so stupid. So, Unsolved Mysteries Wiki would like to tell you that this is unresolved, um, and that in 1991, a team of forensic historians found a tiny grave near San Vincent where the outlaws were said to have been laid to rest and exhumed two skeletons. <sighs> they turned to DNA comparisons, finding Laurel's brother in Pennsylvania, as well as a living maternal relative three generations from him. DNA failed to match. Okay, whatever. In 2011, the belief that William T. Phillips and Bush Cassidy was the same person was finally put to rest. No, actually, it was put to rest instantly, but that's okay. <laughs> Larry Pointer was able to find new information that led him to believe that Phillips was actually William T. Wilcott, a man who met Cassidy in prison in 1895. So there was a six degree of separation. Witnesses from that team claimed to have seen Wilcox and Cassidy together disproving the belief that they are the same person. However, Pointer still believes that Butch Cassidy survived this shootout and came to the United States. Why? Because he does not want to move on with his life for some reason. Okay. So, yeah, this was just a guy who, at one point they show a skeptical author who's like, look, I'm sure he got some free beers telling people he was Butch (laughs) Cassidy. And I was like, you're right, that's entirely why he did that. Yep, exactly. To impress old ladies and get free beers. Uh And that's... Hey... No, I, I mean, am? yeah. You see that movie? Paul Newman's cute, huh? Anyway. I'm Butch Cassidy. I'm Butch Cassidy. You want a bone? <laughs> <laughs> and who could resist? <laughs> so at this point, the episode is just like not worth watching, even though the first two segments were kind of good. No. This one really would, tanks it. I would just recommend stopping after the UFO one because now we have a lost love and it's. Just kind of sad. It's just kind of sad. It's not really a heart. I mean, it's sort of heartwarming, but not. It's not really. Not really. Mostly, it's just a kick in the sack. So. <laughs> <laughs> Mostly, it's just an unnecessary downer in your day where you're like, oh. Well, yeah. So the world is cruel. Lest we forget, Aletha Smith Everts is searching for her brothers and sister Richard, Marty, and Noreen. Their parents, who were married as teenagers, were seldom around to care for the children, and five-year-old Aletha often had to take care of her younger siblings all by herself. These reenactments are not fun to watch. They're not fun, but I just kept reminding myself that these are child actors, because then you're kind of like, oh, this is cute. Like, the little girl is, like, toddling downstairs and, like, making, like, just chocolate sundaes for every meal, and... Because the parents are not around, so she's kind of... The five-year-old gets in charge of the 
beating everyone else. Yeah, and she, like in the reenactments, they sort of show her literally like, putting the baby in the high chair and like feeding everyone, and it's just like, oh my god. Yeah, it's intense. Yeah, at the time, Richard was just four, Marty was just three, and Noreen was only two. That's way too many children. Aletha remembered making chocolate milk and toast for them when their parents separated in 1960. Child services took the children and placed them in the foster care system. In July 1960, they were placed in the home of foster parents Frank and Mary Ann Wiley. Finally, the children had parents who cared for them. Uh, when living with the Wileys, they did chores and played around on their farm. It's, it looked really cute. It looked like a little child's they paradise. They had a small farm with barn animals, and yeah, they got to like play outside and get to actually do kid stuff they never gotten to do before. I know, and Aletha said it was the most amazing thing because suddenly she there was an adult in the house that was right. responsible for feeding them. She's like, I didn't have to worry about it anymore. All I had to do was be a kid and like play around with the dogs and stuff. I know. It was really sweet, but then immediately sad. Yep. That was, you get one second of that. Enjoy it while it lasts. Because in December of 1962, they were returned to their father's custody. Apparently how this went down was they're like hanging up the Christmas tree. It's Christmas. And their father calls the foster mother and is like, I want my kids back. And she was like, basically had to be like, I don't know if it's a good idea to like interrupt our Christmas plans. Like we have all these things we're going to do. And so then they agreed to like have Christmas Eve with the foster parents and Christmas Day. And then Christmas Day evening, the father took them back and just kept them. Yeah. But how is that how it works? I, this did not make he sense. He could just call them up and be like, I want my kids Actually, back now. Actually, you know how I'm an unfit parent? Yeah. I want to be taking those kids. I changed my mind. I don't understand. How it's this... Christmas, so I kind of got to do whatever I want, include take bad care of my children. Yeah, I don't get it. Because, unfortunately, he was, again, negligent with their care. Aletha was, once again, left to take care of her younger siblings. In this reenactment, she's, like, on the counter. All the kids are around there, have, like, chocolate powder all over. They're, it's, like, like, covered in, her in hair. chocolate milk. Yeah. It was like, oh, this also, would be cute if it wasn't horrible child neglect. It's so frustrating that he, like, bothered to get them back. Yeah, why... Just to, like, take bad care of them again. He was like, no, no, I need my children back. Also, kids, adios. Yeah, I don't understand. So, eventually, concerned neighbors called the police, and the siblings were put back into the foster system, this time in separate homes. Sadly, they didn't go back to the farm where they were happy. I know. I don't understand why they didn't just send them back there. Uh, Because it seems like, from what we hear, because the foster mother is interviewed for the show, it seems like she would have taken all those kids back in a heartbeat. Maybe she had already had other kids, and she was, I don't know, maxed out? I don't don't know. I feel like that woman would have taken in 12 kids. I think she would have. Especially to keep the siblings together, I think she yeah. would have for sure. So it's just a broken system. I know. Um, <laughs> four years later, after living, this is horrible. Four years later, after living with two abusive foster homes, Aliza was returned to the Wileys. She loved her foster parents, but felt confused and lost as a result of her previous abusive homes and being abandoned by her parents. Yeah, Mrs. Wiley was so sweet. She's like. They called me up and they said, do you remember Aletha Smith? And I said, I sure do. And they said, would you want her back? And she said, absolutely. And within like 20 minutes, I know. Aletha was back at her door. It was enough to make you cry. So she ran away from the Wiley home, planning to go to Sand Springs, Oklahoma, to find her natural grandmother. 
With the help of a local priest, she searched the neighborhood for her grandmother's house, but she was unable to find it. The priest then dropped her off at a police station where she was identified as a runaway. She was then put back into the foster care system, again, with a different family? I don't know why she wasn't just returned to the Wileys. It's very frustrating. Don't get this. I guess because she ran away, but... Yeah, for some yeah for some reason, I just wrote, for some reason, she was not permitted to return to the Wileys. So although Aletha eventually located and reunited with her... Uh, biological parents she never was able to find her brothers Richard and Marty and her sister Noreen so we don't actually see the reunion but we do get an update that this is solved thanks to viewer tips Aletha was reunited with her siblings but the facts behind the reunion were kept secret from the broadcast and the reunion was not filmed because of the emotional pain that Aletha had gone through in her and her siblings childhood so I guess they didn't want that filmed I kind of understand I totally get why they wouldn't want that filmed I don't think I would want that filmed but just as a viewer it makes the segment sad yeah because you don't get the satisfaction of seeing them get back together which is like the best part about lost loves yeah so it just makes it sort of a sour note to end on i know particularly after that butch cassidy nonsense yeah and also what i wanted to know is if she was reunited with the wileys later in life because i mean they're on the show so it's like did she go back and eventually develop a relationship with them that would have warmed my heart because they seem like awesome people and could have been the parents that her salute biological parents weren't able to be so yeah yeah they seem pretty awesome Mm -hmm. all right should we rate this episode yeah, I'm sure people are on the edge of their seat to find out if I liked it or not. <laughs> well, let's Guesses. start with mysteriousness. So the first one was kind of mysterious. The first one is kind of mysterious. And so was the second one. I thought they were both mysterious. So, I'm up in the air on the UFO one. Thumbs almost up. Yeah. yeah it's not sideways, <laughs> but it's like... <laughs> That's it squeaking up. Yes. It's like stock. It's like trying to... That's what it was. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. I'm uh, sure. I'm glad you're real happy I made that noise right in your ear. Uh, reenactments? I kind of liked the UFO reenactment. I like her coming out in this like pleather, <laughs> tan pleather coat, staring up at this shining UFO getting radiation poisoning. Oh, the um, thing I forgot to mention about the segment that I wanted to mention, and I don't know if this is true because I read it on Wikipedia... But apparently, on Wikipedia is when true. Betty saw the light, she thought it was Jesus' second coming, <laughs> and she jumped out of the car, and they, Vicky and Colby were like, get back in the car, get back in the car, and she's like, no, it's Jesus! And she, like, ran towards it. I don't know if that's true, but I saw it on Wikipedia, and I thought that was hilarious. I don't even know what to say. Like, if Jesus comes back, he's not going to poison you with radiation. Well, that's when she figured out it wasn't Jesus. Okay. <laughs> True. God. True. Or maybe he came back to rapture people, but like no one was worth it, so he just <laughs> left. It's like no thanks. None of you passed the test. It's plausible. This place is a dump. See ya. Yeah, that's that's our impression of Jesus. <laughs> See ya. <laughs> Not worth coming back for. Anyway, I've derailed it. What were we doing, talking about again? Oh, oh yeah, the reenactments. <laughs> yeah, they're uh, all right. They're yeah, fine. they're fine. I don't know. The kids were cute. Yeah, that's true. The Butch Cassidy ones are real dumb. Do you think they do all these stupid Wild West ones because Robert Sack just likes talking about Wild West stories? I'm sure there's there were old men that tuned in just hoping for Wild West stories. I'm sure that was like a Butch chunk. Butch Cassidy? A chunk of viewership. And I think, yeah, also maybe to, to please some eyeballs so they could put in that that t- tiny smidge of Robert Redford and Paul Newman footage so that people could fan themselves. Oh, sure, sure. Anyway. Uh, uh, what, fashion? Yeah. 
Okay, so we talked about that pleather coat. Cindy James in a reenactment has this striped sweater that I want. It's super good. Someone get that for me. Otherwise, oh, in her nursing photo. But in general, not that remarkable. Yeah, no. Did she, was it this episode there was a friend or someone of Cindy's who had like that that blue floral suit coat? Oh, I don't know. Or was that in the last one? I'm trying to remember who that was. I remember thinking that it was really cool, but... I can't remember mm-hmm. who was this Lost episode or not. Lost time and we'll never, ever know. I'll never go back and watch it again, so. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, Robert Stack. What's we, with the whole khaki outfit? We saw him in a new outfit, but it was not good. It, it was very bad. something like a Ken doll would be wearing. Yes. Like, oh yeah, this is Also, when Ken. he's wearing it, he's like coming out of the forest. Like, yeah, Robert Stack, why are you dressed like that? I think he's in like an old westy town, but you can't really tell. It's very dark. It's like you emerges from the shadows wearing a khaki Maybe he's ensemble? just on the, like, set of a western movie. Like, a fake sure. town. Sure. put him in that outfit? Not me, man. No, it was terrible. Uh, it was real bad. Alright, so, yeah, I don't know. Thumbs down? Whatever. Yeah, who cares? That's what that gets. That, so, like, shrug emoji? <laughs> that's what it gets. My whole life. Okay, so <laughs> one out of five, one to five rubber stacks. I feel bad because I do like the first two segments, but as a whole, I don't like this episode. Yeah, I agree. So two? Sure. Two and a half? Is that too bad? Three? I think I would give it a three because I do really like the UFO segment and we haven't gotten an episode about aliens in a while. Yeah, you're right. So I was I'm surprised. just better that I had to talk about I this mean, Butch Cassidy Maybe thing. I would rate it lower if I had to talk about your <laughs> mysteries. I, I kind of like the Cindy James one, but I don't think we'll ever really know what happened there. No, I don't. That's unsatisfying. I don't think they... If there was evidence to collect, I don't think they got it. So oh, for sure not. That's I a don't shame. think we'll ever know. All right. Hmm. That's that. That's hmm. a wrap on season three, episode 18. I'm going to rub my eyeballs a little bit. I don't know why. This this episode is like low energy. Do you think? It's I like agree. low energy vibes. I agree. Does that make any sense? No. I don't know. Also, my recommendation, Samantha's not going to care about at all because it's a music thing. So she can just like... Take a nap. Take a little snooze. A little siesta right now. While I talk to the five listeners probably not even that many are interested i don't know i was thinking about what i should recommend for today and then realized that there's something that i listen to on a very regular basis and in a way i would not usually occur to me recommend because i listen to it so much and that is this perform this concert you can watch on youtube which is youtube is bad in a lot of ways a lot of nazi related ways but i really really love watching concert footage and there is a concert of the band of the drums from like a year ago when they were live on the radio station kexp that i watch like a couple times a week i love it it's like half an hour long um and it's a rare concert where both the visual part is good and the sound part is good and man oh man is it very hard to find things where both of those are working? Doesn't sound complicated, but apparently it is. Sure. I don't know. I've never tried to film a concert. <laughs> um, the drums are probably my favorite band that's like a current band. So if you like the sort of sad music I do, you should definitely check them out. They have a new album coming out uh, next month, April 5th, I want to say. And they're going on tour. Maybe that's even already started. I'm definitely going when they come here, and I'm very excited about it. I think this concert is just like, 
I don't, it's just like so short and sweet and good. And these versions of the songs are really good. And I, I just listen to it all the time. Listen to it when I clean up or whatever. It was on when Samantha came over here. Nice. Yeah. That's, I high, highly recommend it. All right. Well, Liz recommended music and I'm going to recommend some more books. I'm not surprised at all. Well, last night, though, I finished the cannibalism book. What did you think? Okay. So I really liked the first part, which was about animals. Yep. I did not really like the second part, which was more about humans. Right. And I think it's because the guy that wrote it is a zoologist. Yeah. And that's so the, like, I think that's why I was left wanting more. The animal part, I thought, was like really funny and engaging and interesting. And once we got into the like, human part, I was it was just kind of ho-hum. Like, I didn't feel like it was written in the same tone as the first half of the book. And I wonder if he just wasn't as excited about it. Possibly. Some of the anecdotes he's, like, personally in. Like, he goes to eat a placenta and stuff. And some I of, forgot about that. And then some of them are just history lessons. And it doesn't mesh very well together. No. And I just didn't feel like it was... It almost feels like a totally different book. I think that's why I was left really wanting to know more about, like, the mad cow disease and stuff, because, like, in particular, that, like, thread of... Yeah. And with that one, he, like, kind of touches on it and then immediately goes to something else. And it was like, wait, 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 but what about... What happened with that? That's how I felt about when he was talking about cannibalism in China, which in lots of these things, he, like, went to a place to talk to an expert. Like medicinal cannibalism? Yeah. But when he's talking about China... It just is like a dry article. Like, I, I don't think he yeah. went there. I don't think he really... I don't know who he talked to. It just wasn't... That's I true. De- I definitely th- expected more. And he kept circling back to this one expert that completely denies that human cannibalism ever existed. And it seems like he's just gotten to the point where he's just, like, stubborn about it. Because people have come to him and said, we've seen human cannibalism. And he's like, no, 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 you haven't. And he yeah. just spends so much time rehashing what this guy has said. And it's like, okay, could we get some more perspectives? Right. So that, I, I, I didn't love that part either. I originally was really enjoying the book. And then I was having a lot of trouble finishing it. And I was like, why, you know, why do I keep taking a nap or doing something else instead of reading this book? And I realized I just wasn't enjoying it anymore. Right. Because it, it yeah, I don't know. It's just not consistent. That's true. Yeah. But anyway, last night as I was finishing it, I became convinced I had mad cow disease. <laughs> so I definitely should not read that book. Don't read any you, of the books I recommended yeah. last time. No. For sure. I also wanted to say that I, I said... Like, is it possible that I do? Maybe I do. I don't think you do. But I, I will say that I said one of the titles of the books I recommended last week wrong. I think I said The Devil in the Freezer, and the actual title of the book is The Demon in the Freezer. And I've read more of that book. I'm actually almost done with it. And I liked it, but I don't know that I would recommend it as strongly as I did last last time. Um, the other thing that I forgot to mention is if you're thinking about reading that book, there are some graphic descriptions of smallpox that almost made me sick. And I am not easily squeamish, as Liz knows. So That's I, very disturbing to I me. I would recommend that you're cautious if you decide to read that one. I do think it was really interesting because they talk a lot about um, like weaponizing deadly sure. diseases, and that was super interesting to me. But... Yeah, they're gory in their descriptions. Which and is I grosser, need that. that description or a photo of a curly-haired horse? You're asking me. I don't think curly horses are as gross as you do. Disgusting. As Liz sent me this picture of these Basker curly horses, which is a type of horse that has long curly hair and is I actually hypoallergenic. hate them. People, people have them if they're allergic to horses but want to have horses, obviously. And the the texture of their hair is un- uh, unsettling uh, to look at, but uh, I've I've seen these types of horses, uh, so I don't find them that gross. Uh, 
Do you have that thing where you can't look at holes? Yes. And it, see, I have that too really bad, but curly horses don't bother me. Oh, interesting. I didn't know you had that. I do. Yeah, it's horrible. But Like, I used to go to the grocery store all the time and there would see tripe, you know, like in the plastic, whatever, Ugh. and just poke it because there's something like so disgusting about it to me but i also like kind of can't turn away so i just be like oh no i could never touch it that or lotus pods yeah i hate them so much and we're probably triggering a lot of people and i'm really sorry yeah uh but yeah but it's interesting that's a thing isn't it? People are afraid of holes? Yeah. Well, yeah, it's not even know. fear. It's just like... It makes me think the disgust. Bu- bugs are going to come out of them. I think it is a reaction to like something doesn't seem sanitary or well. Or yeah. like part of your body is like, no, you should stay away. Like it reminds you of disease or something. Yeah. I don't know. It's just interesting. It is There's interesting. a season of American Horror Story that involves this, clowns, and the... 2016 election and i was really like why are you coming for me <laughs> that is my worst nightmare why are you making me look what? at clowns unsettling holes and making me relive the election i would no it never was, it was brutal i've never watched american horror story and i'm not just because of spite that they even created such a thing <laughs> i really was like this is personal <laughs> Like, why are you putting all of my fears in, like, one thing? I hate this. Oh, my God. And to get through the, like, first couple episodes of the season was before, like, the plot really took off, which, whatever, it wasn't the greatest season. But I was just like, ugh, this is hard to watch. Like, I hadn't had that reaction yet. And there is a there is a different season that has a scary clown. Okay. And I don't, I don't like clowns, but I don't feel like I have a phobia of clowns. Like, it... It hasn't interfered with my life in any way. I don't know. Sure. I just find them creepy. But there was a very creepy clown in the carnival season. And I was like, yeah, it's creepy, but, you know, whatever. But this, I was like, bleh, I hate it. No, that would make me <laughs> physically ill. I think if you saw a curly horse in real life, you would think they're cute. I think they are fluffier than you. Okay. the pictures make them look. Okay. But the thing about curly horses is that, so all horses shed their coats, their winter coats. So in the springtime and sometimes because of the way their coat is they get really itchy and will literally like rub all their hair off including like their tails and then they just look like these weird patchy naked horses i don't really like hairless cats either well yeah neither do i sorry sorry to that i'm sure growing up that had a hairless rat okay that was that seems kind of they had a bunch of rats and the hairless one was the most friendly and it was always just like, why is this one the friendliest? It's so <laughs> weird to touch. I don't want to hold it. Was it the leader? I don't. I have. I have no idea. I do know that, that w- it was the friendliest, and it was also like litter box trained. So it would. That was the one that would never poop or pee on you. So it was like the best one to hold, but it was also weird and naked. I wouldn't want one pet rat, but I would like like five hundred pet rats. <laughs> So I could be like Willard and they could do my bidding. I'd be like, go, go, my pretties. <laughs> what if they're all hairless rats? No, but I feel like one should be and then that should be the leader. So you can like tell <laughs> in the patch of 500 of them as you talk to them Maybe that's how about your manifesto. That was in like elementary school. So I don't remember much about it. But anyway, the books oh, I'm recommending. The books. the books you're recommending. Not nothing to do with any of this. fear of curly haired horses. <laughs> So I love science fiction, but the problem with science fiction novels is that they're always so long. 
And I just oh, haven't been in the mood to like get into a really long book lately. So I decided I would pick up these books that have been on my list for a long time. And it's called The Murderbot Diaries by Martha Wells. And the first one is All Systems Red. There's currently three books out. And I think another one coming out in the next couple, maybe next year or the year after. I'm not sure. But they're actually novellas. And they are published by Tor.com. And I've hesitated to pick them up in the past because they're about like artificial intelligence and robots and that's not really my thing. I'm not always super interested in those stories, but I'm really happy I did because I thoroughly enjoyed them. So first of all, I listened to the audiobooks and the narrator was really, really good. It was just like the perfect voice for this Mm. half robot, half human character. And they're short. I think like the longest one is maybe four hours. So they're quick reads. I read all four of them in like a week and a half. This is the description for the first book. In a corporate-dominated, space-faring future, planetary missions must be approved and supplied by the company. Exploratory teams are accompanied by company-supplied security androids for their own safety, but in a society where contracts are awarded to the lowest bidder, safety isn't a primary concern. On a distant planet, a team of scientists are conducting surface tests shadowed by their company-supplied android, a self-aware SEC unit that has hacked its own governor module and refers to itself, although never says it out loud as murder bot scornful of humans all it really wants to do is to be left alone long enough to figure out who it is but when a neighboring mission goes dark it's up to the scientists and their murder bot to get to the truth murder bot this is i know i so the character of this robot is just really well done to the point where you're really sympathizing with a robot and also he has this like dry funny sense of humor and as robots do it's I just I really liked it. I liked that each book has this little like has a different storyline that's like subtly subtly connected to the other ones. So it's a new sort of adventure each time. I thought this world that Martha Wells builds where it's like this corporate like dominated industry of robots mm. was fascinating. This kind of just sounds like Futurama. I've never watched Futurama, but it oh, might be. Okay. Um, <laughs> Which, that would be weird because that's like a comedy cartoon. But there is like this a, one's a little bit mother, more, more serious. mom's robot company. And that's funny. Bender and that's, does kind of want to kill all humans. So, so well, this huh. so the robot actually <laughs> really wants to protect its humans. So oh, okay. its mission in life, because it's designed to go out and be a security guard, essentially, except it's a robot. So he meets a lot of humans in his travels that he really likes and have complicated feelings about whether or not these like half human half robots should be given things like rights or if they should remain property um and so i don't know it was it's like a fascinating thought experiment but it's also entertaining so and it, they're just perfect little short chunks of books where i just kind of can power through them and it's a light read but also interesting enough that i feel like you're engaged mentally with the story so I do really recommend it. I'm kind of sad that there was only three, although there is another one coming out, apparently. These are, like, beloved books in the, sci- in the sci-fi community, and I just never got around to reading them. Don't know what my problem was, but I really liked them, and I wanted yeah, to... Yeah, what was your problem? Recommend them? Almost I like you were reading five books about mad cow disease. Almost. I'm Weird. way more interested in this week's recommendation than last week's recommendation. <laughs> I figured you probably wouldn't pick up a book about Ebola. I like a good, uh, you know, what is the the meaning of human sure. sci-fi novel. It's very much like that, but a little bit lighter. Okay. Okay. Have you read Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep? I have not read that one. That one is a downer. <laughs> yeah, Whoa. I think that's why I've never picked that one up. 
it's great, but man, oh man, will you lose the will to live. <laughs> these will not have that effect on you. I actually really would love for these to be turned into a TV show or a movie. I think they would be perfect yeah, for it. Futurama. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe I should watch Futurama. <laughs> Everybody yell at Samantha, though no one is surprised that you haven't seen Futurama. No. No, no one is. No one is. <sighs> Said everything. I think so. Said everything, dear listeners. We should really plug our shit. Okay. So follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, where I perhaps it's you. Instagram has been a little silent lately because I've just been tired. Because Samantha's a deadbeat, and we yeah, all know it. That's why. But I post things. Or uh, it's just hibernation time of year. That's kind of how I feel. I slipped on the ice on Saturday and, like, b- broke myself practically. And so all I wanted to do coffee. is lay on the couch. Yeah, you can, I don't know if a lot of people know that they can buy us coffee. Through Ko-Fi. We have a Ko-Fi, and you can find the link to it in our Instagram bio. If you are if you follow us there and you want to just throw us, like, $3. I mean, it's that's not enough for both on of us to have website. coffee, but perhaps it's you.com under contact you'll find it yeah if you want to just like if you don't want to maybe give us money every month on patreon i get that but maybe you want to support you know us in other ways like caffeinating us well not caffeinating liz because she doesn't drink caffeine i'll but drink hot chocolate and get the tiniest bit also tiniest some, some hydration now. helps yeah so. and our amazon wish list is there too yeah we still have that if yeah. you're interested in buying, buying us shit. stuff which you should absolutely do I mean, what did you do to celebrate International Women's Day? Nothing? Send us some shit. <laughs> yeah, so we have a Patreon. You got a bonus episode a month at any amount. This month we're going to do chicken people. That's going to be weird, y'all. It's That's an unsolved mystery in and of itself. Sure is. You should send us your paranormal tales. Oh, my goodness. We yes, want your ghost do. stories. That's perhaps it's you podcast at gmail.com. Or there's a form on our website, perhaps it's you.com. Where Gordon Ramsay can send his pics. Please, Gordon Ramsay. Oh, when I was talking about the drums, I should have mentioned that everybody should follow the front man, Johnny Pierce, on Instagram for his many thirst traps. Okay. Yep. That's so I take part back, of my intro. That's part of my recommendation. Wonder we take about what we said. We're gonna ask two listeners for shirtless photos. <laughs> Hi, that's Johnny. It. That's it. That's it. Just one for each of us. One for each yes, of us. That's exactly. It. That's it. We're drawing the line. I promise. And also BD Wong. Oh God, three. Okay, three. <laughs> okay, just three. That's it. Oh, so, by invitation only. Yes. Yes. Okay. Great. Uh, yeah, solve some mysteries. You're a bitch. We love you. <laughs> Bye. Bye. <laughs>